Hey everyone, welcome to our Harlots on Hulu crossover event. I am Kate, host of But Why Though the podcast, and I am here with Lainey. Hello. <laughs> and where are you from, Lainey? I am the host of the True Crime Fan Club podcast, and I hail from Dallas. So, before we get started, as I said, we are talking about Harlots, the uh, Hulu original show that ran for eight episodes. It wrapped about a month ago, maybe a little bit over a month ago. And personally, I think it's better than Handmaid's Tale, so you should go watch that if you if you yes. watch the other one. It, it's yeah, it's awesome. All this being said, I'm terrible with keeping myself from saying spoilers, so there will probably be spoilers in this. Know this: it's eight episodes. That's a work day. You can totally binge that and then come listen to this. So uh, let's get right into it. Do you want to start with the premise of the show? Sure. The premise of the show, it's based in the 18th century in the UK. So London, let's say. And it has, it's about two homes. So Lydia Quigley has her home, her harlot home, I would say, or her bod house. Her boarding the, house. Yeah. Yeah. Her boarding house for for women in need and men in need. <laughs> and Margaret Wells has her own house as well. Um, she's on the lower end of the totem pole. So Margaret is trying to elevate herself to the status and or above Lydia Quigley. And so the war that these women wage with each other not only affect their relationship together, because you find out later that they have some interesting um, backstory together, but it also spills over into their own homes and to the different characters in the series. Um, and the choices that they individually make impact a wide range of people. So it's just kind of leading you down that path. It's really interesting. Yeah, I think I think personally what I thought was really amazing was it was a show that was about the two boarding houses and, and their fight. But it was the fight illustrated on how it affected everybody else. That was yes. so, it was so well done because usually when you have a cast that large and, and just like just to point it out is there are so many characters in in this series. Um, yes. I I've been trying to catch back up with my Harlots review and recap blogs, and I try to break down each character and what happened to them. There's at least six main characters at any given time. And the, what this show really does is it, it pretty much highlights the fact that there is an interconnectedness and closeness between everyone, no matter how distant their relation is to each other. Um, and it's really believable that that is how it was in the 18th century. We didn't have social media, you know, keeping us in contact with each other, but you had really big relationships that would form over families. It wasn't just it wasn't just one person. It was, okay, your mother did this. Now you will do this. And that means that you're tied into the legacy of your mother, the legacy of your mother's house and all the friends that she has around her. Yeah, that's 100%. I would agree with that. And I think the best thing about that is that each episode, even though it's part of a bigger story, is a mini episode in and of itself. Like you could watch one episode and be like, wow, this is affecting this one person or think it's a compl about somebody completely different other than Margaret Wells. Exactly. And that, they did a great job. Yeah. And I was going to ask, I guess it's like a good way to bring in like one of my questions that I had, like who, do, who when, when you first watched, when you first started watching the show, who did you think the protagonist was? I think Lucy, honestly, because I saw a lot of 
a lot of Margaret's focus on her and it was about bringing her and elevating her to the status because Lucy is the whole key to Margaret's success. And she, Lucy annoyed me right off the bat, but thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I was like, I, I mean, she's pretty, but she's also a very annoying person. Oh, she's um, a terrible person. Yes. And her little like eye twitch thing that she does where she squints her eye when she's about to cry drives me insane. Um, but I think it was Lucy from, I think beginning to end, every choice that Margaret makes is because of her needing Lucy to step up and elevate her. Yeah, no, I I completely agree. I thought that initially that this wasn't, so I guess the protagonist is just like the Wells boarding house and what happens, I, I would say like around there and how Margaret Wells I, like she's ultimately protagonist, but I thought off the bat it was going to be Lucy and Charlotte. Like it was going to be a Lucy and Charlotte story and how mm-hmm. Lucy and Charlotte made it through this world because obviously Charlotte was, um, I'm, I'm, listeners, I'm going to call her Mama Wells. That's what I've been calling yeah. her since I started watching it. Um, <laughs> if you watch the show, you'll know why. Um, she, Charlotte is her eldest daughter and Charlotte's done fairly well to herself. She has a patronage from, a, at the beginning, a fairly decent man who pretty much lets her do whatever she wants, gives her what she wants, and she's kind of mm-hmm. untamed in that way. Um, and that at that point, that is the most that you can want from your daughter in that life. Um, but with Lucy, she sees it as a way to capitalize on and actually do more and bring more into the house and set Lucy up even in, in, in a greater way than she did for Charlotte. And so I thought that this was just going to be a sister's story. Um, I feel like it changed from that really quickly, which I was very happy about. Yeah, I can see that for <laughs> sure. Um, I think, I think you're right. I do think Lucy's choices affect everyone and Margaret's reaction to them really shapes the story. But I yes. think beyond that, Lucy is kind of just like an annoying background character. Like if she didn't have an action, if she didn't have a big thing happen around her, she would kind of just fade into the background. And I don't even think that actress is particularly good personally. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think she carries that. She can't carry the show. Not, not in the same way Margaret does. Yeah, so. or Charlotte even. Could. Or Charlotte. Yeah, no, yeah. that is definitely Or um, I'm just going to throw it out right now. I want to know more about Mags, which is, she runs an even yes. lower, she runs an even lower end boarding house. Yeah, and she steals the scene whenever she's in it. Like she's a bod, and she um, she wears pants, and yes. like she's just like in complete control, and she knows how to hide bodies. And I'm just like, oh my. <laughs> God. Yes. She's help a pirate man. bod. She just yes. is she's sexy as hell. And she's so awesome. She's in control, which I think a lot of women who are harlots and or bods aren't. Yeah. But she completely rules her house and her her people, her women. Yeah. You know, with her broomstick. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> her broom switch. And, and I, I think and I think that's a really good um that's a really good, I guess, description of this environment, right? Because these women are greatly, greatly affected by their situation. So they're affected by having to sell their bodies. They're affected by being born in the 18th century where women have no rights. 
Um, and I think this for me, and I, I, I've written about it as well, is probably one of the best feminist narratives that I've seen on television because this is all about finding your agency and how you can enact that agency even when your choices have to be made within a system. Um, And I think with Mags, you can really tell that the only reason she doesn't have a house as big as a Wells's or as big as Quigley's is because she refuses to do it their way. Yeah, absolutely. She's she is her own um, animal, really. She tames herself if she wants to be tamed. Exactly. She doesn't allow anybody else to do that. And I agree wholeheartedly that I think that there is some envy from Mawell's side, really, about how autonomous Mags is. Oh yeah. You know, I mean, her harlots may not be living in the best, uh, you know, house or whatever, but they have kind of a say in their own life you know they do have to bring in their men and stuff like that or suitors or whatever they're called but they still get to make that choice exactly and i think that's something too that you see and i i guess i hadn't really thought about it so you just said that i'm running through all the all the harlots that are in mags's house and it's always them going onto the street and bringing them inside versus Mm -hmm. um what you see in wells's which is they're just in their rooms, a suitor comes, they have to take care of them. And then even in a more extreme way in Quigley's house where these women are being kept against their will and they ha- like they can't even, they, like their food gets restricted from them. They can't talk at a turn. They have to speak certain languages and you know, where yeah. their autonomy is even more restricted. And it, it fights against this narrative that, Uh, Wells sets up in the first episode is that if you have money, you have power. That's the only way a woman can have power in this world is if you have money. And then you start seeing that as much as I do think that that's true to the time, I think that what Mag shows is like agency doesn't only come with power. Agency can be shown even in in squalor. Um, Right. Because I think Mag's and and Mag's house is the most free out of everything. Absolutely. And if you want to even kind of look a little bit more abstract to it you can look at it in terms of women's rights right so quickly yeah. is the ultimate restriction yeah. you know women have to be pretty know a different talent speak a different language to be exotic and then you have margaret wells who has women who are a little bit more real who present themselves kind of with some air of elegance but not really you know they are who they are but then you have mags's girls who you know, are openly okay with who they are. And I think that's a progression into the more free you are with accepting yourself as a woman, the more, you know, autonomy you're going to have in this world by being okay with saying, yeah, I don't give a crap. I'm a harlot. Let's go. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you want I think I see that. I saw that progression. You want to go right here? That's fine. Yeah. In the, in the middle of the hall, way. no problem. That's fine. Yeah. It's your reputation that. that's going to be ruined, not mine. That's perfectly fine. Yes. Um, 20 quid, please. Yeah. <laughs> so Which, I see it like that a little bit more abstract sometimes when I look at the houses overall. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. And I think, um, I think for me too, I think this actually brings us into a good place to talk about the men in the show. Um, yes. Because, okay. For those of you who don't know, Harlots is a show about women written by women. So all of the writers are female. The director is female. The producers are female. And this is a show that show that has that narrative at its core. 
because that's who write that that's who is writing it, which is why there's this ability to tackle some things with, with great nuance. And when you're watching that as a woman, it's like, I totally get that. Or I don't know if this is what they're trying to say, but this is what <laughs> I'm feeling right now. Um, yes. And the way I see it with the men in the show, the men are very much uh, reactive to everyone. And I think the only one, as much as like uh, Margaret's husband, William, as much as his narrative is tied into the Wells's house, I think he has more autonomy than the other men. Um, but uh, you have Sir George, who's Charlotte's patron. Um, he's completely just controlled by Charlotte for the most part. And when that breaks, um, when, when he can't control her anymore, then, you know, he, he, he brutalizes her. And then, right. af- and then after that you have, um, is it David, David Marnie, who's the male harlot who comes into Charlotte's mm-hmm. life. He's not in control. He's completely reactive to her, uh, to Charlotte because he's, he's put in the situation of love at first sight. She's not, um, which is a really great reversal. And then you have the boogeymen of the entire series, the Spartans, who are this group of elite men, kind of like a Freemasons type secret society, only instead of getting together and like drinking, they get together, drink, and then they go and like steal a virgin. Probably rape and murder. And murder and murder women. Like they rape and murder women and they kidnap, then they charge uh, Quigley with kidnapping these women. Yeah. Um, And... It's and it, and and the women, the type of woman, is very specific to their exactly. needs. They need somebody who's a pure virgin. They don't want just some, you know, harlot off the street. So she's taking girls um, who want to be like housemaids. Exactly. You know, sweet little innocent people. You know, one of them is so excited that she's getting this opportunity, um, and then the door kind of opens after everything happens and you're just like faced with this brutality. Yeah. And, and, and we, we don't honestly. know if she's dead. We don't know if she's just beat, but she is just lying there. And it's, I would say in the portrayal of the Spartans, because the, these guys do terrible things to women. You don't see, it's not Game of Thrones where I have to watch a character get raped, mm-hmm. but it still has the same effect of like, this was really heavy. This was really intense. I am now scared for all the women in Quigley's house, um, which I think is, a, and I think, again, that's because women wrote this. Like, there are certain ways to show rape in a show, and mm-hmm. there are certain ways to show somebody being victimized that doesn't lead it to just to just be thrown in there. Um, and with the Spartans, as much as they, they serve as a boogeyman and this, I guess, like I'm using air quotes here, powerful right. figure in, in the world, ultimately, they can only move as much as Quigley lets them because right. they need Quigley to supply them the girls. On top of that, they have to protect their identities at all, at all costs. They can't be found out. And this ultimately leads to them not getting what they want in the end. Um, and they have to react to the women in this, in, um, in the, in, in the settings. And I think the men in this episode play a lot of the parts that women often play in series or not episode in the, the men in this season play a lot of the parts that women often play in these series. You have the supportive, so you have Charlie Quigley's son, who's just head over heels with Emily Lacey and wants to support her in everything. And yes. you, have, <laughs> you have the villain, you have the person who, you know, it, 
they're they're background characters with importance, but it doesn't really matter what happens to them because they're just reacting to everything else. Um, the women are yeah. at the center of this. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I think it's also kind of awesome to kind of do that role reversal where they're reactionary, the men are reactionary to the women when typically it's the opposite. It's yeah. a, a woman feeding over this man or competing for his attention. And you see that reverse, especially with Charlotte. Um, you see that there's this competing, like her suitor knows that this male harlot has her attention and he can't stand it. Yeah, And so somebody yeah. with <laughs> so much wealth and aristocracy is competing with somebody who has nothing but charm. Yeah. That's it. And it's, I think it's very enlightening because um, in most productions, women are put in those roles. Yeah. So it's, I, it's great yeah. to see that role reversal. Yeah, no, completely. And I think that also points to the fact that the women in this world are calculating. And I don't say that in a bad way. Like, that's often used as something that's, I guess, derogatory towards women, you know, but they're, they're the, um, you know, for the good term, they're logical, they're logical and they're calculating right. and they're going to make choices that benefit them and they're not going to react on their emotion because you find out that when the, these women learn, like some of them do react on their emotion and then they learn, oh crap, I shouldn't do that. That's not in my best interest. I'm going to adjust my actions. And that's a very different narrative than you get in most shows about women where they're, yeah. they're doing what you said. They're, they're, they're the ones on oxygen snapped. Like they have this, <laughs> like, the, like that, like there's this idea of us, all of us are going to snap and all of us are going to be super emotional and that's all we're going to go for. Whereas I think Harlots does a great job at portraying women in many different ways. Yes. Um, Every, yes. For, I think that's true. Cause you have cold and calculating Quigley you have emotional wreck Lucy. Um, yes. You can't decide what the hell she wants to do. I want to be a whore. No, I don't. Go away. Yeah. I'm going to kill you. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. Yeah. I don't like Lucy. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's okay. This is the I hate Lucy show. Forget I love Lucy. We hate Lucy. Exactly. Right now. <laughs> Hashtag right out Lucy. Yes. Uh, but I, I, you know, it, it, it's refreshing and it's really great to see. Um, I guess what, I don't know, what, what character would you be if you were living in this world? So I automatically wanted to be Mags because <laughs> I was looking through, you know, I was like, I mean, the power of Quigley, sure, right? Where I could just tell people what to do. I have all this money, but I'm not willing to trade my conscience or yeah. my integrity or the things that she's willing to do um, to bring power to her house yeah. um, and I'm not desperate enough to be Margaret Wells where I'm just competing with Lydia and and I think that's the real focus it's not I really want to help my family I want to help Lucy you know get this patronage for a long time it's I want to be Quigley yeah and that puts a lot of that puts a lot of blinders and a lot of roadblocks in her way but so I think about Mags and I'm like, Mags doesn't really have any problems. I mean, people come to her for solutions. Exactly. They're like, hey, I have this dead body. Can you help me get rid of it? And she comes up with really um, ingenious ideas about, you know, he was drunk coming out of your house. So treat him like he's drunk, you know, or um, about calming people down and, and holding. I think the best thing is that she, hold Mar she holds Margaret accountable 
Yes. So if she calls her out on her shit, basically. So if she does yeah. something out of line, like with the Emily Lacey situation, where she basically turned over Emily Lacey's um, location to Lydia, you know, you broke the code. Yeah. And to Mags, and that's unacceptable. And I, I love that she called her out on it and was like, listen, I don't care who you are. You don't do that. You know what we've been through. And for you to do something like that, to put another woman in the same situation that we were in because you know what she's capable of, is un it's unforgivable. And I love that about her. So I would totally yeah. go the Mags route. I think, I also think Mags like, is the only one that genuinely cares about her girls. Like, that's yes, her family. I think so, too. Like, I think yeah. so, too. <laughs> it's just uh, like they're her daughters. Yes, exactly. Like, because I think for me, the show has been overwhelmingly about mothers and their their relationships to their children. And I think mm -hmm. for Mags, it's very much these are all her children and she's going to treat them all equally and she's going to protect them. Like, even if you're a harlot from another house, she's still going to protect you because you are all her, you know, she sees. Yeah, her she sees herself in them, too. Yes. Exactly. And she, she knows how hard she worked to get where she was, uh, to get out of the situation that she was in. Yeah. So. Um, I think personally, I want to say, like, so I would want to be Mags for all the reasons that you said. Uh, <laughs> that is, uh, she, she, she's, a, she's a badass bod. Yes. But I think the one that I identify with the most is actually Harriet. Um, oh, wow. Harriet is actually probably one of my favorite characters, and it's just because of her arc, because she goes from being a slave to being a mistress to being an all-but-wife, but then mm -hmm. he dies, and she essentially has to forge her freedom papers, leave, and not only that, she she realizes that she's selling her body but it's not a negative experience for her like obviously when she first comes into it she doesn't want to do it she you know she she tells wells i i'm i will never do this mm -hmm. and but then when she does it she realizes that these people who have subjugated her her entire life in this moment when she's taking their money and providing them a service she is in complete control for the first time right she is the she's one exotic. who's the master she like yeah like she's the one who's the master she's the one who like and she says it like this this is the first time i've had my own money this is the first time i've had my own anything and that to me is a really really powerful statement and for the fact that like she doesn't see money in this greedy way for her money is about achieving an end and that end isn't just having a bigger house than quigley or having a big house in general it is getting her kids back like it's there's an importance that i see in harriet that didn't have to be talked about on the show and was talked about like people skirt like whenever somebody does like a victorian piece or a period piece or anything way yeah. back when they're like we don't have to talk about race we're just gonna not put any of them in there because whatever yeah, we'll make it, it the G version of, of exactly race. and in this and like sit right on the head with um nathaniel's son i forgot his name now that i think about it what his stupid name was he doesn't deserve to have a name he so <laughs> harriet's married to nathaniel lennox he has a son um from his previous wife full blood 
like Caucasian American male because he was born in America. Um, but Harriet also has two children through with Nathaniel. So these are half siblings of Nathaniel's older son. Um, we'll call him Son Lennox. <laughs> yeah, Son Lennox. Lennox Jr. Um, <laughs> okay, his name's Benjamin. That's it. Ben. So, oh, okay. okay. I think I just didn't like Benjamin. him so much that I didn't I think so about it. <laughs> yes. So, okay. So Nathaniel and Harriet are married, kind of. Um, there, there is married as as an interracial couple can be married. In, right. In that time period. Exactly. As is Margaret and William. <clears throat> yes. So, and I think that's also awesome because I was really shocked that they had an intimate relationship. When I first saw um, Margaret and William, like, come together and kiss and stuff, I was like, holy shit. Yeah. Like, they're really doing this. Like, the interracial thing. I love it. And then you pull up with Harriet and Nathaniel and you're like, oh, my God, you're doing it again. This is awesome. Yeah. Because it's happened. And, you know, there are some people that actually developed and cultivated relationships with another person of another race. It happened. Um and it happened behind closed doors. You know, Margaret was rather proud of it. And I think yeah. Nathaniel was too. So Nathaniel has a son, an older son named Benjamin through a previous or his first marriage. Nathaniel, uh, Benjamin is from America. He was born in America, but he comes over um, and his father ends up falling ill and he passes away. So he takes over the ownership of basically everything Nathaniel had is left to Benjamin. That includes his two step siblings and their property yes he doesn't see them as people and i think that the the show creators did a wonderful job of making benjamin so disgusting because he had absolutely no qualms about calling william you know nasty names or saying nasty things about his own blood and even about harriet he had absolutely no qualms about that and i think that kind of put it in the viewer's face to say this happened. This yeah. is the ugly side of racism. It didn't just happen to pop up in America all of a sudden when we got yeah. slaves. This was going on. Yeah. And um, also, like, this wasn't even just like we see it as this. Well, most of us see it as good people see it as disgusting now, but it was, it was normalized then. That mm-hmm. was just what it was. And it wasn't even like Harriet could go take him to court or something to get his children because those weren't her children legally, they were property. Right. People were not people at this time. And they addressed it really well. And then I think what they also did was William, um, who's Margaret's husband, was not a slave. He was born free. And so you get an entirely different um, perspective on the world from him, whereas Harriet is very quick to, when she's in the bedroom, she's in control. But when she's in the street, you know, she knows, you know, she knows her spot. place. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, she knows her place. Like a, as, as a black woman walking these streets, she knows her place. She knows that she cannot mm-hmm. say something back to, to Benjamin Lennox. <laughs> she knows when to bite her tongue. She knows how to say these. And because William has always been free, it's not that he doesn't know not to say these things. It's that he knows that he has the same, the same status as these people telling him these things and he's not going to budge. So right. I think the fact that they investigated this and they, they, it, they didn't do it in a lot of episodes, but I think when they did it, it was really, really important because Harriet pretty much got two whole episodes. Um, that last episode, like William really shone through. And I think on top of that, just to like put like a really nice pin on it is I thought the best thing about this was that William and Margaret have a son together 
And then they have, and then she obviously has Lucy and Charlotte from her flesh peddling days. Um, yes. and, and it's very clear that after William came into her life, she never did that again. But the girls, Charlotte and Lucy, both call William Pa. And they, you know, and, and Margaret refers to him as go get your pa or, you know, mm -hmm. they're a family. Like, no matter what anybody says, they're a family. And, like, I think my favorite scene with Lucy in it is actually after, spoiler, um, <laughs> I told you to go watch these episodes before you listen to this. When George dies, when the big climactic event happens and she stabs um, Sir George, it's not Margaret who comforts her. It's William. Yeah. And it's a very real comfort. And it's like something I feel like my dad would have done to me if I had, you know, murdered my John. Murdered somebody. But <laughs> <laughs> we would all, I don't have a dad, so I don't know. <laughs> I was born to a real harlot. <laughs> I'm just kidding. My mom's going to like murder me if she hears that. <laughs> no, but I think that's accurate. And it, and again, I think that's just such a great thing because you know, these, these relationships had to happen behind closed doors. It didn't matter that William was free or exactly. not. There were still laws, but the I fact mean, that they were yeah. able to cultivate that relationship enough to where he was the only father they knew. And despite his race or despite his status within society, he was it for both of those girls. Exactly. And they had no problem embracing it. Yes. I mean, Cause like this is happening in the late 1700s, just to put this in perspective, Interracial marriage has only been legal for 50 years in the States. Yes. I tune into these things really well because like I, because of my own relationship, but I, I think it, it's really important because we mm -hmm. don't have a lot of representations like this. And we don't have a lot of representations that call into the fact that like Margaret isn't aware of half the things that she wants to, that she wants William to do. Like William can't do because of what he looks like. Like yeah. when, when he's escorting the chair, the, the carriage from their old, their old boarding house to Greek street. She's like, why didn't you take care of it? He's like, what did you want me to do? Did you want me to assault the four white men that were right in front of us blocking our way? Margaret, yeah. like, they <laughs> Get were, real. They were me. yeah, exactly. Like, if exactly. you know, and, but at the same time, she doesn't understand it, but it's not done in like, oh, Margaret's bad for not knowing this. It's like, okay, no, let's watch how Margaret and William navigate this space between them, which is really good because a lot of the times, like the, those little spaces don't get talked about and right. don't get it explained. So, and I guess I'm just harping on the fact that Harlots technically, yes, they had to do this, but they could have easily said, no, we don't have to do this because of the time frame, which is what right. a lot of things do. Um, yes. But yeah, um, let's move into one of yours. I feel like I've, I've been leading. No, I love it. I was just <laughs> going to say, so we were talking about, you know, which Harley we want to be. So, and I think that it ties into the house that we want to join, right? So obviously I'd be at Matt's house 100% um, because I like my freedom. <laughs> so I'm assuming that's the same for you. But here's one thing I, I've been thinking about a lot because there was one scene that really stuck with me. So what scene for you was one that kind of made you either like drop your jaw or just be like, what the hell did I just see? Or like, oh, wow, I wasn't expecting that. There's two. I have two very important scenes for me. So my first one was, you know, when, when Lucy first meets Lord and Lady Repton. Oh, yeah. Right. She they were 
callers to Charlotte. So I'm thinking as I'm watching this, they're not going to be terrible. They're going to be fun and exciting. They're a little quirky and everything like that. And then they have the whole hunting scene where they're basically taunting her like she's the prey. Right. And they're chasing her through the woods. They're uh, Lady Reppin's like, Lucy, Lucy, you know, following her and trying to, you know, scare her. And Lucy, like, genuinely freaks out. She's terrified. And she ends up crying, you know, out a little bit. And they come and, you know, like, oh, you silly girl. You know, we were just playing with you. Um, and then they go into the house for dinner. And... You know, Lucy starts making jokes about Lord Repton, things like that, thinking like, oh, he's just jovial. He wants these jokes. Then Lady Repton joins in and he just like smacks the crap out of her and she falls out of the chair. And I was like, oh, my God, I was not expecting that. And you could just I mean, you could see in Lady Repton's face, the actress who played her. She did such a great job of of displaying the embarrassment and the the shame that went with that with being hit in public in front of a guest you know or another woman um but also kind of like kicking herself in the ass for even going that far because if any she knows her husband so she knows what he will tolerate and what he won't so she probably was like i went too far with that and was blaming herself and you can kind of see that in her face but that scene in particular just like shocked the crap out of me. I was like, holy crap, I didn't expect that. And ever, anytime I'd see him in the scene again, I was like, okay, when is he going to pop off like on the random? <laughs> I need to be prepared. Yes. But the second scene was when William at the very end confronted Benjamin about the boys, about the siblings. And I was expecting this full on brawl like okay benjamin's about to die (laughs) like somebody's he's gonna kill him and it's so anticlimactic it's like william's basically like dude i'm gonna kick your ass and he's like you know what it's not worth it i'm gonna go back to america enjoy the slave children (laughs) and it was so (laughs) i was expecting so much more like a fight a brawl and instead it's just this war of words where william's like literally i will go toe-to-toe with you and i think that benjamin was all talk no bar you know just bark 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 and wasn't actually going to do anything because he couldn't do anything there's no way that he would be able to defend himself against um william and none of the patrons in the bar got up and said anything to william for getting out of line with you know somebody who's white but i think that's also because in the area that they were william was respected yeah despite who he you know who he was in the color of his skin i think that he was very well respect respected um, so I was kind of disappointed with that scene that William didn't actually beat Benjamin up. Yeah. So like I can go off that scene because that was one of my scenes. Um, but mine was like the opposite. I didn't expect him and William. I didn't I didn't expect William and Benjamin to fight. I expected everybody in the bar to fight William. And if not fight him, I expected this to at least end up with him being hung or something or being thrown in jail or something like that. Oh, like wow. That, that's what I expected. Um, yeah. But it doesn't happen, and I'm like, oh, okay, thank you. I love William. He's like the thank only you for man in the show. Him. I really love. Um, but I really liked his his. I guess it's not a monologue because it's not long enough. But his speech that he gives to Benjamin, he's like, I've had to deal with cowards like you my entire life. You are not mm-hmm. better than me. I'm better than you. You have, and just you know, just goes at him, and he cuts deep. Like, William's yeah. silent a lot of the time, but when he talks, he cuts deep. Yeah. Um, 
And I, I thought it was a really good scene. It was anticlimactic. Um, and, but at the same time, cause this, this happens in the very last episode, I'm happy that they ended it there. Cause I don't think I could have had the show end with them. Like, okay, we'll take it to court. And then like yeah. the resolution for the characters, yes. um, because this has kind of been like his side quest too. Like his side quest, other than helping Mama Wells out, is making sure that Harriet gets her children back because she promised right. he he promised that to her. Um, because obviously these children have not, ex- it, it, although these children are slaves, they haven't experienced slavery because they had their father around um, at that time. Who obviously he treated Harriet like as as if she were the woman of the house um, and you know the head of the house. And not mm-hmm. um, not anything other than that. So you have to assume that the children would have been treated the same way. Yeah, um, I agree. And then my second scene. Um, gosh, yeah, yeah. So my second scene is right after Charlotte is raped by Sir George. Um, she's at the table. They go to a dinner together. Oh, yeah. And so what happens is Sir George is slightly he's he's tightening the noose around charlotte's neck or more and more and more um when the more he realizes that she's you know not necessarily falling in love but she's at least flirting with this with the male harlot and she refuses to have sex with him and then he forces herself on her and i the rape scene in general i think was really well done because what happens is charlotte just attaches herself she just completely just detaches herself from the situation. And you realize that this type of brutality, like this, this is what harlots are used to. This is what Mm -hmm. harlots are taught to bear. And this is what they do. Now, the difference with Charlotte is, is when they go into, um, they go to a dinner right afterwards, he puts her in a brand new dress and they're talking at the table and she's, Charlotte Wells is known throughout London or whatever part of England this is. Wherever they are. (laughs) Whatever part of the empire this is. um, She's known as having a quick wit, a quick wit. She's known as always having a joke always pretty much emasculating Sir George. Like that, that is what she does. Right. Um, and that's something that, that everybody finds entertaining. And so they, the, you know, the men at the table and even the women at the table start asking, you know, where, where's the quick wit? Where's this? Where's that? And Sir George is just like, well, I've tamed the shrew. I've done this. I've quieted her. And then Charlotte just goes off. Like she loses it and she puts him in his place and she stands up and she's just like, why don't you tell them how you tamed me? Huh? Yeah. Why don't you tell them what you did? And then in front of an entire table of, of the aristocrats of the area, she's like, you know, you raped me. That is what you did. Congratulations. Like, what do you want from that? Like, that is what you've done to silence me. Let everybody know what you did. You didn't actually win anything. You know, I haven't complied to, you know, and it, it's, just, it's, just, it's such a great scene and it, it's so dynamic and it kind of gets, it kind of makes you think about how women respond to these things, how women process trauma, because she could have easily just, like, they could have made her just be completely defiant right from the start. But you can tell as she's sitting at the table, like she's thinking about everything and, and it's just every time he says something, it's another hit, it's another hit, it's another hit. And that's just what she's playing. And it's, it's, it's such a great scene. Yes. And I love so. the women's reaction because it's so telling of the time that, you know, she wasn't 
welcome in the home because of who she was. They knew that she was his mistress. They were expecting his wife, you know, and they're all embarrassed that she's there in the first place. But then when she makes that scene, the women are just, you know, pushing their food around, looking down. And then the wife of the, um, the hostess, yeah. yeah, the hostess is, Basically, like, well, let's move to the smoking room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and just like cuts it off, you know, and and cuts off that dialogue at the end where you're expecting this tension filled moment either t- for George to react and he doesn't. He just sits there and he's, you know, trembling with fear because he's so angry and embarrassed and stuff. And then she ends up leaving. But then he's confronted by, you know, his other friends and they're like, what were you thinking? You know, why would you do something like that? Which to me expressed a little bit of humanity in in those men because yes they may have mistresses but they found the way that George treated Charlotte to be inexcusable yeah which I think was awesome yeah no I thought it was a really good dynamic to kind of throw in there (laughs) so so we'll see all right so let's see I have who did you absolutely hate (laughs) <laughs> on the show. I like to think, people I hate. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I think we've, we've kind of said it there. Um, <laughs> right. So is I this guess if the, I had to pick, it would be Benjamin. Ben, okay. I just yeah, couldn't that's... stand him at all. He made me so mad because yes. he was so mean. <laughs> yeah, so that's what it's an ass. It's like, who did we hate as like the – okay. I hated Benjamin mm-hmm. for who he was as a character. I yes. hated Lucy for who she was as a character and the actress who played her and her interactions with almost every single other person in the entire show. Yes. Um, <laughs> she was like, Lucy is the epitome of a fragile fawn who yes. has, who is slipping on the ice like Bambi. And who that is she, her whole but, life. But who, thinks she, but who thinks she can do like triple sow cows and stuff on the damn ice. Yeah. Because the, the, what, this is what gets me with Lucy. What gets me with Lucy, and the reason I don't like her, is initially you open up, and when you first learn of Lucy, she's you know she's reading this book with the description of all the harlots, and she's going to be the best harlot there is, and she's going to do everything just so well. And then she just, I mean, she has a very long series of bad experiences, so I get it. Yes. Like, it's she's not traumatized. for you. Yes. Boring is not for you. <laughs> Don't sell no. your body. You don't, you know, I mean, I guess technically she has to because of their situation. But what happens is she doesn't stop that type of rhetoric. Like if it had just been, I think I'm big shit. Oh, no, I can't do this. I'm fully going to embrace that I can't do this. Mm-hmm. It's, I think I'm great. Oh, my God, I can't do this. I'm still going to tell everybody else I'm I'm great. I'm still going to belittle all the other women in the house. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, I still can't do this. And now I'm just going to make everything worse for everybody. And yeah. that's my problem is that like, she doesn't actually have a character shift. Like she just kind of flops between these different personalities. And I personally, like it bugs me that she doesn't respect the other harlots in the house. Yeah. Like, she talks really down to them. Me. Like she's the most experienced one. And I'm like, you are nowhere near their caliber of not even I mean just being a harlot in general she doesn't have it in her because you know of course she's she goes through some pretty traumatic experiences in terms of Lord Repton you know beating her basically and abusing her and raping her essentially 
And then she's with Sir George, who essentially, you know, tries to do the same thing. And then um, creepy ass Lord Fallon. Yes. Oh, my God. He's so and I hate his stupid face, his stupid <laughs> powdery white wig wearing face. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, and he's like shoving pomegranate seeds down her throat and things like that. And I'm just like, but my biggest frustration with her is that she didn't say something to Margaret. She had been so open with her before. She had said, you know, things that would come naturally to a mother and daughter relationship. But at some point, and I didn't catch the shift um, of when their relationship shifted to where she wasn't comfortable telling her. Because I'm like, listen, you told Charlotte. Why didn't somebody who knew that this happened to her tell her like I would have asked her she came back acting you know so secluded and um introverted and that's not really how she was and I think as Margaret or you know Ma Wells whatever she was so blinded by what she wanted to have for herself that she completely overlooked that her child was going through this traumatizing experience and she took Lucy's word for it to say oh yeah I'm okay and you can clearly see that by the way Lucy is saying that she's okay she's not okay and I think that's very telling for how selfish Margaret Wells is that despite saying she's a good mom that she's better than you know Lydia Quigley she's really not yeah which Mags points out yeah that she's one power wig away from lady quigley yeah and and it's and it's true and it's really sad and disheartening because i was such a big fan of hers when um the series started because i was like hell yeah girl you do you live that life you know try and get it but then you start to see this progression of these just very poor decisions and rash decisions being made all for at first it seems like for lucy but then it's really just to get back at lady it's a it's a it's a story of revenge and what yeah. it can really do to your entire family and the people around you. Because if you're yeah. so focused on getting revenge on somebody, you don't care about how it affects anybody else. The only person you care about, which is the only person Margaret cared about, was Lydia Quigley. Yeah. How could she stick it to her? And she did. as she tried to. Yeah. I mean, I think I agree there. I think there's like this really weird thing that happens in Harlots for me, at least when I watched it, was there was this overarching like narrative of everything that you do for family. And then it was very much this revenge narrative. And I think there's a shift after the pomegranate eating incident where she clearly like Lucy can't hold it together anymore, which is really weird because after all the things you've done, you like that scene was really creepy. Like that probably made me more uncomfortable than anything I had seen because I'm just like, oh my God, he's a Spartan. What's he going to do to her? Yeah. Um, But that's obviously like stuff that I know that like Lucy would not know. Um, But like that being said, I think when that happens, I think she starts taking into account, I think it turns into what she's going to do for her daughters, but what she's going to mm-hmm. do from her daughters is very different what she's going to do for everybody else because she doesn't care about Harriet's kids. She turns over Emily Lacey to be killed. She knows that that's what's going to happen. She knows right. that, you know, that Quigley's pissed because Emily Lacey almost killed her damn son. Um and she has no qualms about it because then it's just about protecting her own and it becomes so insular that it, it just it changes um but i think that that's only in those last two episodes um yeah and, and the same thing how she treated fanny i was really um surprised by that because yeah you know fanny's lighthearted. you know she's robust and she has a favorite client 
and everything like that. But she's pregnant, she right? Sticks of butter. Yeah, and she puts sticks of butter in yeah. her crevices <laughs> <laughs> for the finding. Um, and I, it, I was kind of, I guess I shouldn't have been shocked, but I was at you know, her response to Fanny being pregnant, she's like, you know, you can't stay here long. Yeah. And I'm just like, you know, she, you know, she totes being such a, such a, a fighter for her girls. You know, she's like, my girl's this, my girl's that. Well, when it comes down to it and your girls really need you, like Fanny's going to be out on the street. What the hell's going to happen with her? Exactly. You know, you really aren't there for them. Like you say you are. And I was really surprised by that because I was just like, Oh, poor Fanny. <laughs> like yeah. what's going to happen with I liked you? Fanny. Yes. And, and the other thing is, and so we were, okay. So we we're talking about 18th century London, let's say the contraception piece was really interesting to me yes. because I'm seeing them like dip this, you know, big like tube sock looking thing in water and just rinsing it out. I'm like, Oh, honey, <laughs> you're going you're gonna to get gonorrhea, you're going to get chlamydia, you're going to get it all, you're going to have a baby. <laughs> That's exactly what I was like, that is not, that is not okay. And so I, I did some research on it to see kind of, okay, well, what contraceptions were people using during this time frame? And so they had the um, ever reliable pullout method. That was their first thing to go to is to pull it out. And and it was said at the time that men had ex had demonstrated such control over their faculties that they could pull out. And so the men who did this were, you know, were just amazing men who were ultimately in control. So they essentially called it, um, what did they say? Coitus interruptus oh <laughs> is God. literally what it's called. So yeah, they you know men were actually praised for the pullout method in um, 18th century for doing this because it's like you demonstrated so much control. I mean, literally, scholars were writing about this and and quoting like Leviticus and oh saying, "Oh my gosh, you are an amazing shepherd of men because you experience so much control over your body. You truly are a man." And so, okay, so then we move on to the condom, essentially. Was it made out of sheep's uh, what intestines? Yes. Yeah, so it's actually made out of, um, it's, it was called a barrier device. I didn't call it a condom. So it's a barrier device. It's made out of sheep's guts. And it is tied at the end by, or it has a ribbon at the end of it. So kind of where you would push it down the shaft. It actually wraps around the scrotum and you tie it. So it just like covers your entire genital area. <laughs> I think the only thing where it differs for this instance is a lot of people higher up on the totem pole use this to basically make sure they didn't have so many kids because it's yeah. expensive, right? So if you have a big family fortune, the more kids you have, the more you have to spread it, you know, across them. But men also use this primarily to carry on affairs to make sure they didn't contract a venereal disease. So we see it a lot with the harlots, you know, washing and doing this because the men have basically brought this to them because they don't want to um, yeah. catch a disease. I'm like, you're going to catch a disease. <laughs> just so you know, using dirty water. It's just, you just dunking it all in there. I mean, they're using the same water pot to clean it, you know, and or they're sharing, here, take this one. Um, and I'm just like, all of you are going to die of venereal disease. I just want you to know that there is no protecting you from this. But it was interesting to see it because at first in in the show, it looks like this, this like, um, you know, it's just really 
white cloth that you wrap around your wiener. Um, but then when you <laughs> when you actually look it up online and stuff and you see it, you can see how it kind of mirrors, you know, Conde. Um, so I thought that was really interesting that those, that and, and breastfeeding were the main forms yeah. of um, contraception. How is breastfeeding a contraception? So <laughs> the women who breastfed like other people's babies, so they were whatever they call, what they're called, like milkmaids or something like that, uh, wet nurses. Yeah. So they milk would do that. Nurses. Same thing. <laughs> I was like, I don't know. They're all the same. They give milk to people, okay, <laughs> in one form or the other. Um, but basically, I only read a short piece of it, so I, I am no expert. But the deal was that if you are breastfeeding, you shouldn't be having sex. So that would be your way of doing it. So a lot of if poor people um, breastfed other women's babies for that, something like that. Wow. This would be my preferred method. <laughs> That's so weird. <laughs> Forget your barrier. Let's yes. just do this. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, I wanted to talk about Fanny too, because I was really, I she just popped up in my head and I was like, damn, I was real sad about her. And then the other girl, um, the um, the French girl, the, the Amish girl, oh, or whatever oh, she is. Yeah, no, I was actually going to ask about that. Uh, so Amelia, Amelia Scanwell, and yes. Florence Scanwell, who are the two um, at they're like Quakers, right? Uh no. So they would be so they would be reformists. So they'd be the people that split off after um, the Reformation. Uh, they were really interesting characters because I was actually going to say the only even reference to a venereal disease, I guess, which is I thought was really surprising, is in Florence Scanwell, who is yes. the uh, who is the harlot, pretty much like best harlot in all the land, turned uh, fire and brimstone preacher. Yes. Um, so she is blind, and that that was when she realized, oh no, I need to turn to God and preach. Um, but it's very that one of the symptoms to uh, you know to prolong syphilis, so it, with it not being treated, is blindness. Um, oh, and so she's blind. Um, so that's pretty much what I, I think she had syphilis, and you put that into account, like the sickness, the illness that she had, where her daughter had to help her. Um, but after she comes to terms with her daughter and tells her everything, you know, every, you know, everything that she did, um, her, her idea changes from you all are going to burn in hell to even Mary Magdalene was repented and all these things. Um, How things have changed. And I love that Amelia is like a closet lesbian. It's yes, my favorite thing that's in the world. Was, yes. And with Violet, who I want to know it's, so much more about. Yeah, because um, she's not only a lesbian, but she is an interracial lesbian. <laughs> yes. I mean, that's freaking awesome. I was very surprised by that because I was like, of course, Violet's going to try and stun her. You know, like that's what I was thinking. I was like, yeah, I'm going to go in for the kiss and just be like this, you know, just to just to do it. But then you see into it and this awakening in her really that she's kind of been pushing down. And it's amazing to see that transformation in her that you know she's she's finally feeling something for herself not something that her mother's telling her she should feel that these women are terrible but she's finally feeling it on her own and digesting it on her own and understanding what that means for her and she 
she cares so deeply, so quickly too for Violet. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I I think that this I, I I didn't like her character at first. I thought she was just gonna be there to be there. Um, but I think what they mm-hmm. did with her was really good. Yeah. Um because it's the other side too. Like it's it's the other side, but not the other side. Like Amelia like gladly like kind of shows that Amelia's dealing with the same stuff that the Harlots are, just in a different situation. Yes. I mean I mean it's, plus it's I, repression. Repression is repression, regardless exactly. if it's religious or sexual. That's exactly. that's what she's experiencing as a woman. She's going through the same thing um that the harlots are going through. She's just not having to sell her body. Exactly. And on top of that too, like she's also like always in danger of being kidnapped and taken to the Spartans by Lady yeah. <laughs> quickly. Yes. Um, <laughs> um so so hard. Oh <laughs> so like uh we're running out of time and yes. I just go on like more and more. <laughs> Forever. I know, I know, like I just want to get into every little detail. Um Here, let's part two. <laughs> ooh, we could. Season two, we come back. Yes, we need it. to. We I'm excited to. for season yeah, two. Yeah. What do you think is gonna happen next season? So here's the thing. Okay, so I think Amelia's secret's going to be let out for sure. I think there just needs to be some type of some type of work with her. Um, there's going to be ramifications for death because even though there technically wasn't, you know, everybody's like, oh no, she's fine. I feel like something from that piece is still going to come up that Margaret's going to be held accountable in some way, or, um, even though you kind of see Lydia take a downfall, I think she's going to come back with like a vengeance and be like, all right, you guys, you thought I was playing, but now yeah. <laughs> I'm going to really ruin your lives. I hope that Mag's story develops a little bit more though. I'd love to see her killer, her character develop a little bit more than just being that sidekick friend who can beat men with a broom <laughs> switch. <laughs> I would love to see more, but that's also because I'm hashtag team Mags. <laughs> I'm definitely hashtag Mags as well. And I would say that she is the one character that I was like, I need more. I need more now. Um, I also think for sure the secret's going to come out for Amelia's secret's going to come out. Um, It has to. Um, It's gotten so close. And I think now that Quigley's become detached from a lot of things, it's Mm going to happen. Yes. Um, I think one of the main things that I, I guess like the main thing that I don't want to happen is there was kind of hints that um, Harriet was having feelings for William. Yes. um, Which I don't want to happen. Oh, I didn't even think about that. I don't want that to happen at all because like William and Margaret are just such a really good couple. Yeah. And they're they're just awesome. Exactly. And they balance each other. Like yes. she pushes him to do stuff and, and she, he pushes her not to do stuff. Like they, yeah. they, they, like they, 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 they're this nice act, but I think what was, what I liked, and th- this is the reason why I don't want them to do like a Harriet Steele's William thing, or even they have like a dalliance. I don't want them to do that because there's this, in, there's this thing being in, in a relationship where you kind where you don't look like the other person that you're with. Yeah. And I think they do it really well where Margaret's like, she does think that William has feelings for Harriet and it doesn't come out of a bad place. It just comes from her feeling like, I don't understand you the way Harriet would, or like, I don't look like her yeah. and she looks, and, and, and it's not 
bad to think that because I think there you can get a little bit of that when Margaret's with Nathaniel, when Nathaniel comes to the house to visit them. I think you have that exact same thing playing out in William. Yeah. And I think that that is a really good nuance that gets talked about when interracial relationships are highlighted, but it's not something that gets done well. It's something that gets beaten over the head and then eventually like those thoughts end up being right. Yeah. I don't want that to happen. So I, I don't either. Yeah. No. So I don't want to Harriet William thing. <laughs> I don't. Um, and yeah, I want a full Mags arc. Yeah. Like I true. want the facts that we didn't even talk about Emily, Emily Lacey. I love Emily Lacey, she, but like over her. I, I mean, I, I get it. She's <laughs> funny. She's, um, she's very mischievous and stuff like that but she's so self-serving she tries not to be but she really is yeah she is um, but i think that's why i like her because i think she i think she tries but i think she is very much like that like i think she's what people end up being when they try to be good like at the end of the day yeah. like like yeah it's just gonna fall back into what they want like people like th that just happens yep um but I want Margaret's Emily Lacey play to have such bad ramifications that Max Mags actually gets pushed up in the ranks and that they have an actual like larger arc there. Ooh. So that that's what I'm hoping for. Um, we need but, to we need to send this to Harlot so that they can hear this and know that we demand this. Exactly. Exactly. We will not accept, we will not accept a Harriet and William Mark. <laughs> but yeah. what we will accept <laughs> is Mags versus Margaret. Exactly. Thank you. Yes. This is all please. I want. This is this is you want to make a good season? That's what you do. Yeah. Thank you. And goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, but I yeah, I think if, if so long as they, they, they highlight mags and don't do that, then I think it should be a good season. I'm gonna I'm gonna tune in either way. Yeah. Um, I, and I, I don't care. I'm maybe off base hundred percent. Um but I'm gonna watch anyway. I don't care. I exactly. love some highlights. <laughs> Yes. And then I, I I would highly recommend if you listen to this whole thing and you feel like we've spoiled it for you, we didn't. There's still so much more that we couldn't fit into. Yes. This. Um yes, so go watch it. Um I'll give I, you my Hulu password so you can watch it. <laughs> and then I'll change it immediately. I think <laughs> you have eight hours. Go. Yes. <laughs> go. Um, exactly. But yeah, so um I guess we should tell people where to find us. That might be good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you can find me at Oh My Myth Randier on Twitter and Instagram, and you can find my podcast at But Why Though PC on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And we're on all the podcasting stuff. So Stitcher, iTunes, those things, all the fun places. So <laughs> you can find my show, True Crime Fan Club, on most social media platforms: Twitter at TCFC Pod, Facebook dot com forward slash TCFC Pod. We're on Instagram. I might do Snapchat, but I don't know. And our website, crimefanclub.com. And we're on most podcast apps. <laughs> I pimped myself. I harleted my podcast. Yeah, you have to do that. I'm you on all the apps. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on random, random radio apps like Auto and TuneIn. Hey, I'm on TuneIn. We're yeah. on TuneIn. <laughs> Yeah, see, <laughs> it's like, hey, we just added you to this radio state. I'm like, cool, cool. I'm going to claim it, and now I'm on it. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you very much for having me on. I 
am so excited. This is a break from obviously the grisly true crime that I cover. So I appreciate you having me on the show. Um, I hope your listeners love it. And I hope that I hope that they watch Harlots for sure. Yeah, no, I definitely hope they watch Harlots. I hope they go listen to you. We did Yay. just do a true crime episode, so make sure you check you check Lainey out. I yeah. listen to her. I Thank think she's you. awesome. So <laughs> it's um, dark. It's dark. That's what I tell you. I'm like, it's dark, just so you know. <laughs> but um, I always give that disclaimer. I'm like, okay, before you listen, like my first just three know. episodes, just need to <laughs> go listen about why though, <laughs> and then come back. <laughs> You can get a nice little palate cleanser. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> now, uh, thank you so much for being on. And we'll be back for Harlots Season 2. And then, honestly, whatever things you can come up with. Like, honestly, <laughs> I'm totally open to record and do things. Like, hey, I will for sure. It'll be so, fun. So, uh, listeners, if you have a hashtag bring Leany back, do it. <laughs> hashtag live that bod life. Yes. <laughs> hashtag like a bod. Yes, that's how we're going to live. That's my, that's my motto forever. 